This is Points North, a show from Interlochen Public Radio, where we hear about life in northern Michigan through the news, the people, and the places. I'm Dan Wanshura. And I'm Morgan Springer. Coming up on the show, a community up north could overrule their village government and approve marijuana businesses. Look at us doing as an example and and flex your democratic muscle because the voice of the people ultimately is what makes the rules of government. Plus we go maple sugaring with the Grand Traverse Band of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians. But first, a look at some top news stories in Michigan this past week. The number of measles cases in the state has risen into the 40s. The Michigan Department of Health and Human Services says it's testing for new cases daily. Spokesperson Lynn Sutfin says people need to change their mindset about the disease. Measles is very contagious. Um, we haven't seen many cases of it, and so many people have put it kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Oh, we, you know, I won't get the measles. Nobody gets the measles anymore. Now, so far, the measles outbreak has been concentrated in southeast Michigan, but Sutfin says people throughout the state should be concerned as well. Michigan hasn't seen a measles outbreak this large since 1991. A member of the Michigan State Board of Education is criticizing a proposed update of the state's social studies standards, calling the draft biased and left-leaning. A state task force has been working on changing the K-12 standards, which have been in place for over a decade. A revision last year was criticized for omitting certain terms and phrases such as diversity and justice. Now the task force says it's worked hard to remove any evidence of bias. But board member Tom McMillan says the new draft alarms conservatives who feel the standards reflect a socialist view. Our whole nature, the whole free market system of our government, the freedoms that we have fought for, they're being attacked. And how does that happen? It happens when our education system forgets where we came from and and begins pushing a more liberal, uh, progressive agenda. The draft will go back out for public input later this month. A final set of standards is expected to be adopted by June. And a set of controversial immigration enforcement bills moved past a state House committee this week. The bills would make it illegal for local law enforcement to refuse to cooperate with federal immigration agents. A number of Michigan counties, including Wayne, Ingham, and Kent counties, currently don't comply with voluntary requests from immigration enforcement to detain people. A sponsor of the state bills says she's not sure if those counties would be in compliance if the bills pass. This is Points North. I'm Morgan Springer. Recreational marijuana was legalized in Michigan this year, but many cities across the state aren't letting marijuana businesses operate, at least for the time being. Their argument is the state hasn't figured out how to regulate them yet. But one small community in northern Michigan is in the middle of a legal and political debate that could set a precedent for the rest of the state. IPR's Max Johnston has the story. Vanderbilt is a small village 15 minutes north of Gaylord. It's about one square mile, has a population just below 600, and has one traffic light. Residents say Vanderbilt used to be known for its manufacturing and logging industry, with a little bit of tourism sprinkled in. But lately, it's known for something else, a debate over marijuana. When marijuana legalization was on the ballot in November, nearly 200 people in Vanderbilt voted for it and 57% of them said yes. Dozens of people that have come to the meetings and stood up and, you know, say that they voted for it and they want to see Vanderbilt, you know, move into the 21st century. That's Ryan Cottrell. He was born and raised in Vanderbilt. Cottrell was thrilled when legal marijuana passed, and he thought that it would be a huge boost to the area. 
you're talking more traffic in Vanderbilt. You're talking the gas stations are busier, the restaurants are busier, the, the stores are busier. Anyone over the age of 21 can now have marijuana in Michigan. But it's up to individual cities and towns to let marijuana businesses operate in city limits. And Cottrell hoped that village officials would want them in Vanderbilt. But the village council, of which Cottrell is a member, said no thanks. They voted it down 5-2. to two. Ron Bush is on the council and voted no. I don't care if people use marijuana. They can use all they want. But he draws the line at marijuana businesses in Vanderbilt. Well, I think everybody from around this area would be coming to Vanderbilt by their pot. I really do. And that's why we'd be known as a pot village. Bob McMaster was another no vote on the council. He says the state hasn't figured out what marijuana businesses will look like and what the regulations will be. Voting for something that you don't know what it is is just nuts. He says Vanderbilt should wait and see what the state does, and they could opt back in when the state figures out their regulations. That argument is actually pretty common, and in most areas, that's the end of the debate. But there's something citizens can do after that. The law says if they write a petition and get enough signatures, it gets on the ballot in the next election. In January, Vanderbilt took that step. It only took 10 signatures. And what happens then? Well, uh... Then, um, That's Traverse City attorney George Powell. He's been following the case in Vanderbilt closely. Powell is reading the language of the marijuana law as I interview him. But even he's still catching up. This, the, the, uh, so this is so new it, that you're it, still sort of... Yeah, no, it's, this is brand new, okay? So that, I mean, th- this is why this is interesting to me, because really what we're, we're going to find out how this is going to work. What happens next, Powell says, is voters decide if they want marijuana businesses in town. The issue will be put to a vote in Vanderbilt this August. Powell says the village is the only place in the state so far that has gone this route. Vanderbilt might be a, a small community up in northern Michigan, but this is going to be a precedent. A precedent will be set one way or the other. Ryan Cottrell says if voters approve it in August, Vanderbilt will be at the front of the line to open recreational marijuana businesses. In the meantime, he says he'll be knocking on doors to inform the public about what they'll vote on. Opponents like McMaster and Bush say they'll be doing the same. For Points North, I'm Max Johnston. And a note to our listeners, George Powell is an attorney at Dingman and Dancer, which is a supporter of IPR. This is Points North. I'm Dan Wanshura. Maple sugaring season is just wrapping up in northern Michigan. Long before settlers arrived, indigenous communities in the area were tapping maple trees and making syrup. And one tribe is reviving this knowledge for their citizens. Here's IPR's Kayla Fond. For the Anishinaabe, people indigenous to the Great Lakes, spring is sap boiling season. On a day in March, Desmond Berry is overseeing a steamy sugar shack in Peshawe Town. He is the Natural Resources Director for the Grand Traverse Band of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians. He says sugaring was traditionally a group effort. The community would come together and they would head out to the sugar bush and uh, they'd set up wigwams. Taps were carved of wood and sap was collected in birch bark containers. It was boiled in hollowed out logs using stones heated out of fire. After colonization, many kids in the tribe grew up not knowing about maple sugaring. Barry is hoping to change that. We want to bring the community here and teach them how to do this. This year, Barry's tribe got brand new sugaring equipment and invited all of their citizens to participate. 
they've got some traditionally tapped trees and a more contemporary setup. They can collect up to 25 gallons of sap an hour. Today, they've got 500 gallons to boil in a huge wood-fired evaporator. The end product doesn't disappoint. Take a taste. Oh, that's good. Melissa Petoskey is a tribal citizen who came to see the boiling. She says, according to an Anishinaabe story, maple syrup used to flow directly from the trees. But then a spirit thought people were getting lazy and converted the syrup to sap. All the natives with their mouths open underneath the trees. And then he said, okay, well, I'm going to put water into the trees, and now it's going to take the 40 gallons to make one thing of maple syrup. So now you have to work for it, and we give you purpose on working for it. Barry says the syrup is too precious to be sold, but will be distributed at community gatherings or given as gifts to important visitors. For Points North, I'm Kay LaFond. Maple sugaring is one nice reminder that spring is finally here, and we know there are others. Tell us about something you're doing right now that you think is quintessentially spring. Call us at 231-276-4444. You can also email a voice memo to ipr at interlochen.org. And that wraps up the show for this week. I'm Dan Wanshura. And I'm Morgan Springer. You can tune into Points North Fridays here on IPR News Radio. You can catch past shows at pointsnorthradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for tuning in.